Welcome to episode 31 of Red Board Rewind. My name is Spencer Luganbuehl, and today my special guest is the people's champ, Jonathan Kinchin. We go over the great card from last Saturday at Oakland Park. Some fun angles we talk about are what to look for when you see a horse coming off a layoff, and checking a horse's performances after the races can help detect a bias. This is Red Board Rewind. It's the same old story in this cycle. And now I'd like to welcome in my special guest, Jonathan Kinchin. Jonathan, how are you doing today? I'm good, Spencer. Everything is good. Uh, laying low a little bit, obviously, like everyone else in the in the world slash country. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, it's it's. Uh, I think we're we're all lucky uh, to a certain extent that we have uh, the daily distraction of racing. We had some superstars in, in our game run last weekend, uh, which I'm sure we'll talk about. And I'm looking forward to uh, some future superstars coming up this weekend. Although I must admit. It's a little bit weird to be sitting at my house in Austin, Texas, rather than uh, getting on a plane to head to Louisville for the Derby. It's definitely that weird feeling. I know that people on Twitter were wondering about the Preakness, because I guess they all they said it was postponed, but there hasn't been anything yet out about when that race will happen. Have you heard anything? No, I haven't heard anything. I mean, I think that just like everyone, I mean, I, I think everyone has something in their life that's up in the air. Uh, just you're not really sure exactly how it's going to all unfold. When's everything going to be fully opened back up? When's everything going to be safe? Um, where are we going to be? Is there going to be crowds? Is there not? And so I think that uh, even a, a big institution that, that is the NFL is still a little bit uncertain. So the idea that the Maryland Jockey Club hasn't quite made a decision on when uh, the Preakness will be run, uh, I think that that makes sense. I mean, obviously they could have come out um, months ago and said, oh, we're going to still run on the same date. Well, that would have been wrong. Uh, they could say, oh, we're going to run in June, but then you don't know what else is going to happen. So I, I think that everyone's just kind of sitting on their hands for the moment until uh, until we have some more information as a country and as a world, and, and I'm sure a decision will be coming soon. I know you were on the broadcast this weekend. How did you end up doing overall? I mean, it was okay. I mean, you know, my the, the, they had me do this thing, which is fine. I don't mind it, but they, I have to do my like my best bet, and mm-hmm. uh, it's a $20 best bet. And, and I, I'm, I'm torn with that because um, – you know, uh, you know, we have all these people, these these positive EV snobs, right? expected value snobs in, in, in our game where uh, they feel like every wager that's made needs to be a positive EV wager. Well, uh, betting a 20 to one shot, if you're making one $20 bet in a day, just because the horse is good value is not really what we want to do with our new fans. And, and the Fox show is a lot of it is geared towards uh, the new fan. We try not to dumb it down too much, but we, we do understand that there's new people watching since we're the only show in town and, uh, you know, the signups for ADWs across the, across the world and, and including, uh, Naira bets have been, have been outstanding. And so with those, those bets, I, I want to see, I want to try to help people see the ball go through the hoop. I want them to enjoy the game, have fun, and they can worry about that uh, positive EV smart wagering stuff a little bit later. So I, I don't find, I, I try not to give horses that might make sense to me in my everyday playing portfolio, uh, try not to give horses like that. So um, that was a long way to say that I missed on Saturday uh, with, uh, I had an exacto with, I mean, excuse me, a double, a cold double with Bellafina and eight rings, which obviously didn't go well. 
Uh, and then yesterday on Sunday, I gave a ice cold pick three where we missed the middle leg, hit the first leg, hit the last leg, missed the middle leg. So uh, it is what it is. It, it's always hard. I remember watching on TVG, uh, some of the guys late at night, they would be putting out these Delta Downs pick fours. And I'm just like, I just can't. And I, I've heard them say in podcasts, Pastor, just like when I was with TVG, it just didn't work out. I just didn't understand the track as well as I could have. And it, I, I feel so bad for those people that need to put out you know, a sequence like that where over four races, maybe they do like the double, but they're like, no, no, we only want pick four. There's no doubles. It's always hard. The TV, I talk about with my writers all the time. They're like, well, do you guys want top pick winners? Or do you guys want value? And it's like, it's up to you, man. It's however you feel like you're the most comfortable. I know I have guys who are very, you know, chalk favoring weasels. And then I know others who, you know, don't play a horse under five to one that, that right for me. Yeah, I mean, look, and 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 I, I have a lot of friends at TVG, and by no means am I am I trying to be disparaging, but in my honest opinion, TVG is uh, is an ADW company, and so their their idea and their model is based on increasing handle, um, and so a lot of times those guys and gals are 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 forced to kind of put tickets together and. Um, one of the things that's great about Naira and, and, and Fox and Tony Alivato and, and, and the crew there is that like, I don't ever have to give a ticket if I don't want to, they ask me, do you have a ticket? And I'll say, yes, I'll, I'll do one. And if I don't want to do one, I won't do one. If you've noticed Andy Serling doesn't ever do tickets. He doesn't really like to do tickets and he doesn't ever want to have to do that. They don't make him do it. Um, you know, all we, obviously Naira has Naira bets, but the purpose of our show is to promote New York's racing, promote racing to the masses through FS1. And it's, it's kind of, and obviously handle is always important, but it's kind of secondary on our list, or at least that's the way that I feel as someone who isn't really pushed into doing too much that, that doesn't make me feel comfortable. I don't feel good about. So, um, you know, I, I gave out pick a pick five on Saturday on the, on the show and from a timing standpoint and a graphic standpoint, it's really hard to do A-B tickets or to do more efficient wagering. But mm-hmm. the compromise that I made with them was I'll give the pick five all A run on TV, but then I'm going to tell people they can go to Naira Bet's Twitter account to see my other plays, my B tickets. And so I was able to do that, which makes me feel a lot cleaner and, and, and a lot better than I'm trying to educate people on how to bet more efficiently. Absolutely. I, th- I think that's one of the hardest things, too, is you see people come in. They're like, oh, I want to play pick fours and pick fives. It's like, well, you got to walk before you can run, man. You should probably try out with doubles and start trying to sit a nice, easy winner before any of that type of stuff happens. Yeah, the other good thing, though, for the show with the pick five is it's like an action it's an action bet that keeps people engaged. It lets their wager kind of continue to go. And it's hard for me because my brain doesn't make very spready pick five tickets. And so you have to be careful um, on how, on what the tickets that you give out. You know, I, I, I try to never hit the all button when I'm giving a ticket out publicly, but sometimes in, in that setting, you just have to do it. Um, you know, I remember one time at one point, not to bring up old stuff, but I was being, I was criticized at one point for giving out like a $700 pick six ticket on Breeders' Cup Day. Well, dude, it's like it's Breeders' Cup Day. I, I, they asked me to be on the thing. Well, I, I can't give them, you know, I can't give them an A, B ticket. I have my window open. There's someone out there, like, cutting down a tree. So if it's really annoying in the background, I'm sorry. But I can't give out an A, B ticket. I can't be efficient. All I can do is give the people one ticket. They can play along if they want to, and it is what it is. I think it's always interesting when you come with it. A prospect like that for Breeders' Cup, everyone wants to see the big tickets. They want to see how they can make the most money. For me, I've always been much more, I don't want to say I've dumbed down the wagering, but like I've said, you know, if you look back through your ROI and you don't have a win bet profit 
through your ROI tracker for Naira bets. Why are you jumping into pick threes and the pick fours? You should try to at least understand where you're going wrong, at least on the lower end of the uh, wagering spectrum before you take that big leap into well, the bets that can burn your bankroll. Right. I mean, so there's two sides to that. Yes, it's a good exercise to be able to, to quote-unquote master the wind pool. The difference in that is, is that, for me, is that the pick three, the pick four, the pick five kind of allow you to do something that the wind pool doesn't allow you to do, unless, of course, you're wind dutching. That could be way down a rabbit hole. But if you're betting to win, you can have an opinion against a favorite, but essentially you, you, you're only betting one horse to win in that race. If you're playing the pick three, pick four, pick five, you can toss a favorite and pick up a ton of equity by using three other horses besides that favorite that could still allow you to exercise that opinion, um, but not be narrowed to one horse. I, I know that's very complex to a certain extent uh, if you're a new player, but you know, the, the, the coverage that you can get in a pick four and running together uh, strong opinions is an opportunity that I wouldn't discourage people from playing. You, you don't want to, if you didn't like eight rings um, at Oaklawn on Saturday, betting long weekend to win just in my brain doesn't seem like enough. You're supposed to run that great opinion together on a horse that's going to be heavily bet into multiple pools. You should try to utilize that in the exacta if you have a horse you think is very likely to run second. You should utilize that in the trifecta if you like a, a big long shot to run third. You should utilize that in the pick three or pick four if you have other opinions throughout the sequence. Maybe you didn't think Bellafina was going to win. You're supposed to run that those opinions together to maximize uh, your opportunity there. I think for me too, coming from someone who has a much smaller bankroll, I think I started like with $10 in my Naira bets account on Saturday. I was really close to going uh, busto. And I just, the small little win bets, you know, I think I ended up making $25 on Saturday, which to a lot of people doesn't sound like a lot, but for someone who had $10 in the account, you know, I'm almost tripling my bankroll. It definitely comes to a price for me where the lower the bankroll, it's just, I've, I've played poker a lot in my life and I've always been bankroll management heavy. If I don't have enough to add a casino, like for three or four, you know, bus, then I just don't want to play at that specific level of the game. I'll go down to a lower level or I just won't be able to play. No, I think that's really smart. I mean, you have to obviously be responsible in your bankroll management. It's, it's uh, one of my favorite parts of, of uh, Mike Maloney's book, betting with an edge, uh, the, the, how he addresses, how he handles bankroll management, how he handled a bust in, in one one time or another in his life. And I think that even to your point of, of, of having the $10 and, and, and starting with that, I, I still think that it's important that the, the lower your bankroll is, the more focused you become on one or two opinions a day. Um, and and, and I, I think that it's, say you have $10 you're starting with, I, I don't think you want to bet five horses to win at two bucks. I, I, I think that you want to to try to hit a dollar exact a cold on one opinion, that, that one opinion you might like, or bet $5 to win on one horse and $5 win on another. I've always felt like this is a hard game and you're going to be wrong more than you're right. And when you're right, you have to make money. You cannot walk away from a great opinion and say, oh, if I only would have bet more, oh, 
I hit my top horse of the day, but I lost my other three action bets. I think the smaller your bankroll, the more limited and direct hit you have to have with your action. And you're just going to have to learn to be a fan for the other nine races on the card. I 100% agree with you. What do you say we get into these races? We're going to add one more race. We're doing four races today than the normal three. Me and JK don't usually get to do these shows a lot together. So I thought let's add one more race. We're going to start with Oakland race three from Saturday. It was a maiden claiming 30,000 going six furlongs on the dirt. JK, who'd you like in this race? Yeah, I, I actually liked the winner, and, I, and I'm not. This is why you named this show so well, Redboard Rewind. It's it's not uh, the ugly Redboard. It's 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 we're we're trying to, to to educate here. So here's why I liked the five. For one, John Sadler was, has been hot as of late. Now I know he's not getting his picture taken a lot with his horses, but. Uh, you know, he's run, he ran well. He ran all these candy, almost won the stake last weekend when she ran second to CeCe. And then uh, Flagstaff, who, who arguably ran the best race uh, that, that Whitmore uh, won in the Count Fleet. So Sadler's uh, horses were running in the right direction. He gets Joel Rosario, who outside of Ricardo Santana and Joe Talamo, like absolutely lays over the colony at Oakland. No offense to any of those guys, um, which is one of my favorite things is to say something offensive and then say no offense. Um, so I, that, that was another thing that I thought was good. He was dropping um, he was dropping in from the 40 to 30, which isn't much of a deal, but that's just another check in the, check in the, uh, in the, in the column for him to run well. But more importantly is, is that the rail hasn't been ideal at, at, uh, at Oakland and in most of the country. It hasn't been ideal for, for the last year or two. And being down there is you can always kind of assume that it's probably less than ideal. Some days it can be good. Uh, I think the day that Nadal ran when it was raining, it was, was okay to be down there. But so connection spent a lot of time down on the rail in the previous start. But more importantly, if you watch that replay, that was a, a, a really weird run race. And it appears that Mojica's saddle slipped in that race. If you watch the, the, the replay, it's really hard to see those things. But when you look in the peripheral and you see a bunch of riders and you see one rider that looks funny, like he's taller or sitting back or, or whatever it might be. It appears that the saddle slipped there. Uh, the horse was bet that day being down on the rail, uh, a very likely winner based on all of those scenarios. Obviously you like the five. What were your thoughts on who the public liked number seven Northern side? Well, Steve asked me, said he's always going to be bet. Ricardo Santana is always going to be bet. Um, the other thing to do is you can look, when, when a horse is bet heavily in their previous start, typically they're going to be bet again. There was a lot of reasons why people thought they were going to run well, and, and that usually carries over. You know, I, I joke about it all the time that the best handicapper in the world is the tote board. I mean, they're right more. Do you tell me someone who picks winners more than 30% of the time? And, and it just doesn't happen. The, 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 the public does that, though. The favorite wins 30% of the time. The favorite is picking that horse and that's who, whatever. So um, I think that there is a, you know, that was, that was likely to have happened. The other thing is with Connection, two of the reasons that Connection, I thought Connection was going to run well, were reasons that were probably hidden to the naked eye. Uh, the idea about the rail not being great hidden to the to the naked eye. Uh, the idea about Sadler being quote-unquote hot, although he wasn't winning a lot of races, his horses were running well. So that's hidden to a certain extent. And then the saddle slipping, if you're not a, if you're not a, a, a race watcher extraordinaire, not that I am, but it's just one thing you pick up on, you know, watching enough races, you pick up on stuff like that, you take good notes, 
that could be hidden as well. That doesn't show up in, in, in all of the running lines. So um, I think that's probably why uh, Northside was, was was a shorter price. It was nice uh, using DRF formula as always. I went back through, looked at the last races and that maiden 40, nobody ran a 60 plus coming out of that race and only two horses out of the seven that had ran since had come in first, had ran second. Connection had a nice trainer stat for John Sadler where route to sprint, uh, dirt maiden claiming 30%. And I think it went jumped up from route to sprint on the dirt was 19 and then the extra 11% for the maiden claiming. It just shows that when you look at the last race, you get the positive, you're getting the positive jockey change today to Joel and nice red fractions being on the lead. This horse just didn't have enough. Gets a small drop in class. The workouts were good. It just seemed like, and when you look at the odds board, I couldn't believe he was four to one. Yeah, one, you mentioned those red fractions. One other point I'll make uh, make uh, make is when, when, when you have a horse that's cutting back, okay, and if you're looking at time form US and you see those red fractions, okay, Connections last race was at a mile. So the, the running line goes like this with the, with the red fraction, the pace figures, 106, 99, 88, 79, 69, meaning that he was running fast early, but he kept slowing down as the distance got longer. If you mentally can picture that the race stopped sooner, he ran fast enough to be extremely competitive in this race. Then you look back one race, the six furlong race, he ran an 85 that day. So you can tell yourself in your head, there's a great opportunity for this horse to run mid 80s to high 80s on the cutback. And if you look at Northside, he was running 88s uh, and 96s. So it fits to a certain extent. You're getting four to one versus four to five. The only other horse I kind of thought had a shot was the number one flexity, just that last race. I know it was for less, it was for 25, so it was kind of on the even part, 14 to 1, but just missed running second by a nose. I've always liked the horses that seem to be forgotten about on the tote board uh, that can run and hit the board. This was 14 to 1. He obviously didn't do that in this race. He ended up going off at 9 to 1, so I mean, he still floated up from that 4 to 1 morning line. What are your thoughts on people who forget about certain horses but are really good at hitting the board? I mean, look, it depends on what kind of player you are, right? I think if you're a trifecta player, then um, then I think that there's some value in reverse keying a horse that you think, uh, or, you know, back keying or whatever, however you want to call it, um, a horse that you think has a great opportunity to hit the board. And the way that you would construct a ticket like that is in a very simple setting. Let's just say that you thought that the five and the seven were the most likely winners, the horses that were probably going to run well. You would play a trifecta, five seven with five seven with one and 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 essentially you're saying that the five or the seven are going to run in the exacta but you're going to key the one uh in that third spot you could also even do it five seven with one with five seven so you can essentially have the one run third or second but instead of just lazily betting the show bet you can parlay that great opinion for a much better payout um, and so, and obviously you can get much more complex with the, with the construction of those tickets. You don't have to just use, you know, the five and the seven, you can use, you know, the five, seven with the four, five, seven with the one, and then you can do the five, seven with the one with the four, five, seven, 10, 11. You can, you can do a lot of different things with that opinion. Um, but the, the, the biggest, you know, thing I can say is don't make one wager. You, you, you have to try to construct a ticket to, to, um, effectively express your opinion. I can't tell you how many times for the bet squad that I would talk to people about doing exacta boxes 
for them as a newbie just to get them some action. And they would be like, oh, but I like three horses. I'm like, well, that's fine. You can have three horses. And they look at me like I have told them the best thing in the history of the world. Yeah, it's look, I understand why people do it. It's simple. I understand why the Exacta box exists. I, I, I don't necessarily discourage a new player from doing it as long as they know that as soon as they figure it out, they got to stop doing it. Because essentially you're, you know, this is a great example, okay? The five and the seven. If you liked the five and you exact the box, the five with the seven, it's wrong. Just make two tickets. If you're spending $12, then bet an $8 exacta, five, seven, and a $4 exacta, seven, five. Value your opinion. Don't just bet it equally, $6. And you know what I mean? It's just, it's, you, you, you have to find a way to, to be more efficient to, uh, to, 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 you know, express that, that opinion. Because like I said, you're going to be wrong more than you're right. When you're right, you got to make them pay for it. Let's see if the number five connection can get done for me and Jonathan right now. They're off. Northside broke beautifully, goes for the front from maybe a spider and knockout bird. Then comes Allen's Rocket, connections between horses. My vow is courage is close up, then the gold room and to the outside, Uncle Tap. Then comes at the rail Flexati, followed by special price, and the trailer is I Lived It, and the leader is Northside. Northside into the far turn with a two-length lead over... Knockout Burt and Fearless Rocket together second and third. Connection moves outside of Connection moves outside of maybe a spider and about four from the front. Then it's two back to the gold room, followed by Flexati at the rail. Then Allen's Rocket and I lived it. Uncle Tap has only two beat. There are special price, and my vow is courage. Northside has the lead. Connection is fourth right now, but he's about to move into second. And here's the danger to Northside. It is Connection who comes after him. He's got three lengths to make up and a final furlong to do it. Northside has the lead. Now it's two lengths as Connection continues to bear down on him. Northside only leads by a length. Connection is going to run right on by and score. It is Connection now two in front, Northside, then Special Price, Connection. Connection one by two. Northside was second. Special Price was third, and the Gold Room finished fourth. And Connection gets it done paying 10 20 Nice little buyer jump from a 50 into a 73 Nice pick, Jonathan. Me and you got one across the board there. Yeah, look, it's like I said, uh, there'll be some more times a little bit later in the show where I, I won't be right. Well, look, I guess we, we probably did pick one more time when we're right, but there's I, I was wrong a lot more than that. You know, this is just the highlights. <laughs> so, obviously, the cutbacks seem to work really well. Northside only improved his buyer another point from a 66 to a 67. This just kind of seems like the horse to me that's always going to be overbet due to connections and just might not be able to get it done. Right. I would imagine that uh, Steve Asmussen is pretty, uh, a pretty aware trainer with, with, uh, with owners that support his decisions. Uh, you, you know, I think there's probably a chance you see Northside drop one more time, win, and get claimed. Um, that would be my prediction, but we'll, we'll see where he shows up next. What do you normally try and do now that you see a horse that wins off the cutback? Do you think that they'll usually stay sprinting, or do you think they'll try and stretch him out? Again? Well, it depends. I mean... A lot of times, that's a, that's a great question. It's tricky. I think there's two answers to it that aren't actually going to answer your question. I think that if they if they stretch the horse out incorrectly, then they obviously will cut the horse back and then they'll keep the horse at that distance. But the other situation is it just might be the condition book and it might be the situation. I gave you plenty of reasons why Connection ran bad in, uh, in the mile race. Now, it, it could have just been where Connection was ready to run 
This maiden 30 race came open for six furlongs. There wasn't a maiden 30 at a mile. And so Asmussen was like, well, let's run him. We run him here. And so maybe there's still a lot of reasons that, that I'm excuse me, Sadler. There's a lot of reasons Sadler still thinks he'll stretch out. And then the next time, he, you know, they, they stretch him out in a, in a starter allowance race. Um, you know, because now he qualifies since he ran for 30. Now they'll try him long again. I, I wouldn't imagine he'll never try it again, but you never know. I think this race, too, when you look at the third and fourth place finish here, the 127 to 1 and 117 to 1. This guy just seemed like a weak race overall. And if you didn't like either of the top two, it's, I think the odds board kind of just made your decision for you in this type of race. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, I, I'm not the type of player. It's just not my strong point to find uh, 99 to 1 and above shots. Uh, if you feel like that's something that you do well, this is a perfect opportunity to try that strategy that I talked about with back wheeling those horses. I mean, if you liked the 8 and the 10 and you back wheeled them, you knew the 5 and the 7 were going to run well, you go 5-7 with 5-7 with 8-10. Uh, for 50 cents. I mean, I, I'm get I'm, JK tries math fails. That's four. No, it's two times one. It's two times two. It's four. It's a, it's two dollars. It's a two dollar bet that came back 172 dollars and 80 cents. I think that's good math. But um, you know, I mean, there's an opportunity to construct tickets that way, and uh, you just have to be creative. And, and and I know you talk about it, Spencer, on the show all the time, and we talk about it on our show. You you cannot spend two hours, three hours, four hours handicapping and then make your wagers as you're walking to the window. I, I just, and it's also too, it's not just making that. I always feel like it's a three-part process. The third process, part of the process here is, okay, I'm done with my betting on Saturday. I got, I got beat to crap and I'm, you know, down $200. Okay. Let me go back in there and see, but nobody wants to be able to lick their wounds and see why they thought a horse that would be, you know, winning by six lengths finished seventh by 12. Yes, I, it's a slippery slope, though. You, you do want to evaluate what happened, but you do not want to become too results-oriented. For instance, if you liked connection for all those reasons, the saddle slipping, the cutback, the rail, the da 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 and the horse gets beat, you can't say to yourself, I knew this horse wasn't that good. I'm so stupid. I don't know why I played that horse. I knew Northside was going to win. What am I doing? You cannot allow your reflection to turn into regret. You have to believe in the process. You have to believe in the process you're building. You can continue to form that process when you gather new information, but don't be, uh, don't be quick to throw the, the baby out with the bathwater. You got to slow down and do not allow hindsight to affect your process. I agree. 100%. And let's if you have any other things to talk about, maybe we jump on to race number six. Let's do it. Race number six was an optional claimer for 80,000 going six furlongs on the dirt. It took me three and a half hours to read this condition. There are so many different things going on in there. Marshall, when we were doing the live stream, and Vinny as well, both said it seemed like a perfect race to set up for St. Joe Bay in the condition book. Yeah, so look, so this is Redboard Rewind. I, I, I picked Wilbo on the show. But I, I, if, if someone told me I had to single a horse, I would have singled St. Joe Bay. But that's one of the great things about the show is, you, you know, I, I'm allowed to, to give ideas that don't necessarily have to be my selections. So I'm going to say I kind of half-picked Wilbo. Um, look, St. Joe Bay at one point, I remember, was more well thought of than two-time Breeders' Cup champion Roy H. Now, that was a long time ago. I just know that when Peter Miller had him way back in the day, 
there was there was this conversation that St. Joe Bay was better. You look at the class of St. Joe Bay, you look through his PPs and some of the horses that he ran against, American Anthem, Ransom the Moon, grade one winner, Catalina Cruiser, I think was a grade one winner, at least a grade two winner, um, Battle of Midway, you know, Roy H., Flagstaff. I mean, St. Joe Bay has been, has been banging heads with, with much better. He had a, a really tough trip. And so I think that's important to realize as well as his tough trip probably helped out uh, Wilbo. But Wilbo, the reason I landed there is really simple. I mean, I, I could go on and on and on. But the truth of the matter is, is that he closed into a slow pace last time. And to me, that's a hidden trip that people don't see. And I love to try to utilize it using Timeform US with those blue figures, or just sometimes you can have a feel of how the race went. Um, if I'm not mistaken, Wilbo's last race was the race where uh, that heavy favorite uh, lost the, um, stumbled or whatever at the start or, and lost the, lost the, uh, the rider. So, th- you know, that's another thing to take into consideration when you're looking at that race. Um, awesome anywhere. Yeah. Lost the rider at, at the, uh, at the start. So, and, and was, I think he was deemed a non-starter. So, um, that's why I landed there. Really nothing too cute. Nothing that original. You also see that sometimes in races like this, where there are some other horses that can kind of give St. Joe Bay a little bit of trouble. Not that he made the most sense. That's why he was under two to one. He was the only horse that was under two to one. I know that Marshall and Vinny had both singled them and picked fours going into this race. I, on the other hand, was going to play like a little exact to kind of three over four, five, ten, And then this is where my wagering people will think I'm, I'm crazy when I do this type of stuff. But it's not that I didn't think that St. Joe Bay was like just that automatic, but I said, let me play a win bet on the horse out of the other three horses that I like. That's the highest odds. And so with like a minute, the post Wilbo was higher than fire crow. So I ended up betting Wilbo. And then really, I ended up just getting lucky here. Not only that, the horse only did win by a neck. Uh, awesome. Saturday was a very good horse. Right. Yeah. I mean, look, I think that one of the things about this race that, that are, it's important is that like there, look, I think a lot of people look in PPs and they see a lot of ones and they think the pace is going to be fast. I think that's lazy and I don't think it's accurate. I think you need to dig a little bit deeper and you need to know were those horses running fast where they had ones, where are they drawn and what is their intent? So with St. Joe Bay being a very likely winner, I felt like in this race, the pace was going to be fast because the one Drina star was on the rail. When there's speed on the rail, that always makes it go a little bit quicker because they are going to go. They're not going to take a speed horse, take back and rate in the pocket and eat dirt for half a mile. They're just not going to do that. So you knew Drina Star was going to run. St. Joe Bay was going to run away from there early. And then here was the other part. Fire Crow had some speed with legit pace numbers. And Nero is a naughty horse who seems to kind of be a little bit of a runoff. He's very hard to control at times. It's why he didn't really turn out to be the talented horse. I think a lot of people thought he was going to be. And so that also kind of speeds it up a little bit. And that, that big favorite is surrounded by speed. That's one of the reasons I thought it might go too quick. Typically in these situations, I go the other way. I, I think, I, give me the speed of the speed when everyone else thinks it's going to fall apart because the jockeys, the trainers, they look at the PPs too. So if you owned the four, Fire Crow, you know, would you say, you know, go to the front as fast as you can? No, you, you got St. Joe Bay and blah, 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 blah. But but so I think a lot of people don't do that. But in this situation, based on the draw and the intentions and the riders, it felt like it was going to be pretty quick. I 
thing for me too. When you look at a horse like Nero, usually when you are the you know un- almost even money favorite, Will Rogers Downs, you don't even hit the board. I people like this horse. I just couldn't get my head around it, so I just kind of used him defensively in the exacta. I mean, when I looked at Wilbo, I just thought you know coming out of the optional 100, it's a small drop in class. The horse loves to win, 12 for 39. I mean, he is eight for 14 at hitting the board at Oakland. He's got six for 20. I mean, he's pretty much hit the board over 50% at the distance and at the track. I just thought this is a horse that kind of got forgotten about on the board for sure. No, I, I agree. It's, 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 uh, you know, he wasn't a big name. There was some big names in there and, and, uh, and he did get, he did get a little bit forgotten. Um, and, and here's the thing. This is one of those situations where I gave the example earlier of don't become too results oriented. I am not going to now change the way I look at sprint races and start picking a bunch of closers. This was an outlier for me. It was a a situation where you can, um, you know, you're going to be wrong more than you're right trying to find closers in, in six furlong dirt sprints. This just was a perfect storm with the perfect price on a horse that just happened to work out. And the truth is, is that Another reason not to be too results oriented is that if if St. Joe Bay gets a better trip, he might win anyways. So, you know, you have to take that into consideration too. Like the result is not always uh, the reality of, of, of what could have happened. I think, uh, and we'll talk about it in a little bit, but like when you look at this race, St. Joe Bay running fourth, I think shows how much class this kind of horse has. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, he's a good horse, right? And I think he'll continue to win races. And um, like I said, Sadler's been doing well. And, and uh, you know, outside draw, a little bit less pace. You know, he'll, he'll continue to win some big races. Let's hear a big stuff on the call here in the sixth at Oakland right now. Trina's star and gray attempt break well. Fire Crow's in the mix. Then comes Nero and Lynn's star. Wilbo is next. Then St. Joe Bay, an awesome Saturday, followed by Mithmar. And the trailer is Tringali. Adrena's star and Firecrow up the back stretch. Adrena's a star half ahead. Firecrow is second by two lengths to Nero, a three-wide lens star and gray attempt at the rail. St. Joe Bay, the big favorite, has five lengths to make up. He's just inside of the veteran Wilbo. Awesome Saturday is six off the lead. At the back of the pack are Al Mithmar and Tringali. Drina's star and Firecrow continue their battle, and they are slugging it out. Firecrow puts his head in front. Drina's star is second. Now St. Joe Bay going to split horses. Meanwhile, Wilbo is running up four deep. Between horses goes Nero, top of the stretch. Firecrow has the lead. Nero splits horses in second. St. Joe Bay, Wilbo in the center, and here comes the veteran Wilbo, and he is running to the front. New leader past mid-stretch. Wilbo leads Firecrow by a half length. Awesome Saturday going to split horses. Wilbo, Awesome Saturday, or Firecrow. These three, Wilbo, Awesome Saturday, down to two. Wilbo, Awesome Saturday, Wilbo. Wilbo beat Awesome Saturday. Firecrow third, St. Joe Bay fourth. Wilbo, as we had talked about, ahead does win, paying a nice 1740 mutual. Only improved the buyer one point, but a lot of other horses seem to drop. And like we had talked about with St. Joe Bay, running fourth when you're a step slow out of the gate with all that speed, I mean, just in between horses, just the worst type of trip you could imagine for favorite. Yeah, it wasn't a good trip for the favorite. It was a pretty good trip for the winner. Uh, Stu Elliott was loaded. You know, Wilbo kind of took him to that point right around the sixth, you know, right outside the eighth pole or inside the eighth pole, and uh, and, and he waited to the last minute really to have to ask. Uh, Wilbo did that uh, on his own. I know in the chat on the live stream, Sean Alvarez had talked about the eight awesome Saturday, and that horse also improved ten points from a seventy-four to an eighty-four. When you're looking back through races, the, the, how big of a buyer jump is too much for you, and how much seems to be like 
uh, nice progression. Uh, you know, I don't really care about that to a certain extent. I mean, I, I, it, it, if someone look. If if someone if a horse has been running seventies and then jumps up to run a, a ninety, I either need to know what changed to run the ninety, or I am going to look at that ninety uh, carefully the rest of the way, right? Like, um, but usually when you see those jumps, there's a reason. There's always a reason why there was the jump. A lot of times, every time I see like seventy, 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 ninety, I look over to the left and you see sloppy, muddy. So sometimes that that will happen. So um, you know, always pay attention. And I pay attention to it, but there's not a number that's too big. You know, if if a horse has been running 70s and he runs a 90, uh, I I wish I knew why, and I, I'd like to see something. He added blinkers. He was cutting back. He was stretching out. He was coming in off a layoff. It was his first start from three to four. Uh, you know, whatever it might be. You know, whatever. I, it it could be whatever it can be. I'm cool with that. The other thing to keep in mind is. If you see that big jump, take a look and see where on the racetrack that horse was. If he was down on the rail and he made that big jump, then maybe look at some of the other horses on that day that ran that that, that ran on the rail and see if they made jumps too. That's another good indicator of a bias. I know when you look at it, Awesome Saturday had run a 97 way back, so it wasn't like this horse was lightly raced. The horse had raced 17 times. It just seemed like a nice pace-aided race where the horse came running at the end. And like we said, Wilbo only winning by a neck. Awesome Saturday right there. This race could have been very different. Yeah, but here's the thing about Awesome Saturday's situation, right? Okay, he was with Brett Calhoun in 2018. Then he goes to, to John Kimmel's barn uh, in 2019. And then he gets to switch to Asmussen. Asmussen runs him one time at, at Houston in February. Then he take, gives him a little bit of a break, runs him in March. And now this is his second race off a layoff. So... Maybe Asmussen figured out what it was about Awesome Saturday. So that jump doesn't doesn't throw me off. It's not like he's had 17 starts doing the same thing for the same stable with the same rider. Um, all those changes are enough for me that, okay, he's just a good horse now. You know, and I don't have a problem with that. A horse like Nero for you just seems to be off form and that needs something else to happen for this horse? No, nah, I mean, he's, just, he's the type of horse I'll just continue to toss until the end of time, until he can prove me, prove me wrong. I mean, obviously, uh, if Baffert couldn't figure him out and Asmussen hasn't figured him out in, in, in five starts, uh, you know, I, I don't know who's going to figure him out. So, you know, he'll continue to take money because of his name, and I'll continue to try to beat him. So it was a nice third for Firecrow after kind of being up there on the pace. He was really the only one who kind of stayed on. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those situations, I think, where, you know, the speed of the speed that just kind of sticks around. Uh, this horse has been running well, ran well in that race where Mojo uh, won, uh, that allowance race you were talking about earlier. He's got some nice numbers in his form. Ron Moquette is winning at 18% at the meet. So, you know, there's a lot of a lot of things going right there. But, uh, you know, there's nothing about his trip that makes me say, like, oh, can't wait to bet him back. I think that'll be just about it for race number six. Race number eight at Oak Lawn was an allowance race going six furlongs. I know you had a horse in here that you really liked. Yeah, I just wanted to, you know, we don't even have to do the full the full run on this one. We just I just wanted to point out some stuff and 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 in fact really what happened is the 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 nature of television is I had a whole segment where I was supposed to talk about sneaking out, coming in off a layoff and why I thought she would run well, but I didn't even get to get to it all. <laughs> so I just I want to use it because it's it's actually pretty informative stuff on when I was digging deeper. Uh, layoffs are tricky. 
you don't understand how good a horse is going to run off a layoff and you have to try to work through that. Now, here's why I thought seeking out was going to run well. And although she was very desperate to win, she ran really well uh, on Saturday. And, and, and here's some of the starting points. First of all, I look at the trainer and I want to know how does this trainer do off a layoff? Jerry Hollendorfer is 20% in his career with over almost 4,000 starts. He's 20% in his career first off a layoff. Check. The trainer is competent. He gets Joel Rosario. We've already talked about that as a positive. Then I look to see how the horse has run off a layoff. Sneaking out and, and you know, on debut, which is considered a layoff in my brain, she ran well on debut. So that counts as one race where she ran well off a layoff. March 22nd at Golden Gate, she won off a layoff. That counts as a good race. And then, and then July of last summer, she ran off a layoff. She ran second. She got beat as a huge favorite, but she ran in an unbelievably fast pace. So she ran well. So in all three chances off a layoff, she has run well. She hasn't won all of them, but she's run well. Now, she's, she, and the other thing is the Golden Gate race. She ran, she, she won that race off a 201 day layoff. One of my favorite things about time form is it shows those gaps and it shows you how many days she ran. Uh, she was running in this race off a 250 day, two day layoff. So it's, you know, right in that same little area of a long layoff she did well in. Um, and then the other thing I'll do is I'll look at the work tab. And if you look at her work tab, uh, she had 12 consecutive works you know, with a little gap, one small little gap in there, but that could just be getting missed on the racetrack or, or, or whatever. It's not an exact science. She had 12 works with like 59 furlongs worth of work in those 12 works. Now, here's the crazy part. She had the six furlong bullet, the six furlong bullet, you know, then she has the, the five furlong bullet, the, the five furlong bullet. So her last four works were all bullets they were long. The six furlongs was the distance in which the race was going to be run. And there's a million things telling you she's going to run well. I think the thing for me too, something that like, not only is the horse good off the layoff, but if you look in that golden gate race, who was she trained by? Oh, Jerry Hollendorfer. So not only do you have the layoff going in your way, the specific trainer has won with the horse off the layoff. Absolutely. So, and look, it's another one of those things results oriented. If, if, if you thought she wasn't going to run well off a layoff and, and you got beat by her, um, you know, she, she barely won. So maybe you were barking up the right tree. I, I actually thought she ran pretty good. I thought Joel had, had the competition measured in the race. Um, and, uh, and, and so she, look, she, she, I thought she did, uh, I thought she did her thing. So she was, uh, she was impressive and, and she kind of, lived up to all the expectations based on the, the 97 things that I just rambled off after the race was over. I think this would be a good point to talk about this as well. For me, Oakland's always been a track where the condition book to me seems a little more difficult to figure out when you see these, it's not just a regular allowance race. It's, you know, for three-year-olds and up, which have never won 15,000 twice other than maiden claiming starter or state bred, or have never won three races. So there's like three or four conditions in there. Whereas like for the regular allowance you see at the Naira track, it's, you know, 40 N2X, and you know what it is. They're either up for the optional claim, they haven't won a couple of races, or they're trying to break their second level allowance. Like, what are your thoughts on when you look at condition books that seem to just have a load of conditions? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think that it's a, a I, I think it's a, a racing secretary who is trying to appease 
the horsemen on the grounds. I think that they want full fields. They want fields that are competitive. Um, and so if you have to write a book that has 13 races, you sometimes have to be 13 horses and 13 races, even like they have coming up on Saturday, you have to be kind of flexible with the conditions. So one of the things I always look for is the word or in conditions. I think it's, 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 it's an, it's an important word. Uh, when you're looking at conditions, when you're trying to figure out how this horse qualified, I start at the bottom of the past performances and work my way up on the, uh, on the Fox show the other day. I said, I start at the bottom of the horse's PP. And then one guy tweeted that that was funny. So I'll, I'm going to start saying past performances, but I start at the bottom of the past performances. And then I work my way up to try to figure out how this horse qualified. I think then we don't really have to jump into much of race eight. If that was what you want to say, we can jump in then to the last race, which was race number 10 at Oakland. It was the carousel six furlongs. Tell me if you haven't heard this before. It's Bellafina out of California and still gets heavily bet. Yeah. You know, I fell for that too. Uh, so that, that was my top pick. So this is, this will finally be, uh, this will finally be me being wrong. Um, although I selected the three races on the day that I was right prior to this, we talked about, um, you know, I, I thought Bellafina uh, was a standout. And the reason I thought she was is because I've always questioned Mia Mischief's ability to, to actually get the six furlongs. Now, I, 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 to get the six, the six furlongs as well as she gets the seven. I thought she was better at seven. Her, her grade one win was at seven. Um, but her Roxolana at Churchill was at six, but I kind of, I, I kind of discount, discounted that performance from her because I felt like Kofefi was came into that race a little bit short because they were trying to bridge that gap from the Miss Preakness to the test and they didn't want to wait too long. So they just kind of rushed her and, and raced her in that spot where they didn't think Mia Mischief was going to show up. So I think Brad Cox kind of sent her into that race a little bit short and long story short, I just didn't really respect that race. And it turns out that Mia Mischief is doing better than ever. It turns out that she has matured to the point where the six furlongs isn't an issue for her. She'll relax uh, enough, even in a fast-paced race, to still finish up. And uh, and I, I felt like Bellafina would somehow work out a trip. But I, I've learned a little bit about Bellafina. You mentioned uh, her out of California. Um, there's a football player that, that I think is talented that I dislike, and that's Cam Newton. I, I just I think he's a front runner. I think he has to have everything go his way for him to play well. And when things are going his way, he's a great leader. He's an encourager. He's he's uh, uplifting to his team. He plays well. When things go bad, his body language flips. Uh, I think he starts pointing fingers a little bit, and I just I just think that he's a guy that when when adversity hits, he doesn't handle it very well. And I think Bellafina is like the the female racehorse version of Cam Newton. And I think that like when things go her way, she wins. When things go her way, she runs second in the Breeders' Cup Philly and Amer Sprint, going you know getting the seven furlongs that she really wants in this situation and that situation. So she's just you know, she's a front, not a front runner in the sense that we think of it as in racing, but she doesn't handle adversity very well. And I think it's become apparent. I wanted to ask you this because I was just curious, the five classic acts and the two midnight fancy, obviously working together with those great, great works. I can't remember the last time I've seen a workout below 47, but when you see something like that, do you just try to upgrade a horse? Or do you think they're kind of going to lose it in the morning at that point? Um, you know, the, the problem I had with those two horses, if I'm being, if I'm being a hundred percent honest is that, uh, those two were caught up in that that situation that saw Blackberry Wine have to get disqualified for those positives, and I am just kind of at the moment 
in the fading them situation because they're going to be bet based on their races and their their you know their their past races and their past performances. But it, it you know they had positives on those days, and so um, I've just been kind of approaching those two horses or those horses in general with kid gloves. And so I really didn't d- dig very deep. I saw there was Joe Sharp. I saw that they that they uh, they ran during that time period and they were uh, they were tosses for me for me this race ended up being a complete pass I just I saw Bellafina out of California I'm like oh I should find value in this race I have just never ever been a me as mischief fan I don't know why I can't get myself around this horse obviously likes Oaklawn likes to win nine for 20 likes to di- like 12 for six of the distance you know nothing to bat an eye at but there was just really nothing else I thought maybe any challenge but just didn't seem to be on the same buyer path as those. I know a couple of the people on the pot, uh, on my live stream had talked about Sunnydale. So for this race, for me, it was just a complete pass, 100%. The last thing I'll say about Mia Mischief, just for, for your listeners that just to take note of, um, really good friends with um, Ruben Munoz, who is Ricardo Santana's agent, obviously, as much as Ricardo rides for Steve. Uh, Ruben's got a great relationship with Steve. And uh, Ruben told me that... Uh, Steve said that he's never had Mia Mischief better. And uh, I think that's an encouraging thing. And she ran like she's never been better. So I, I'd, I'd expect big things from her as, as the year progresses. Let's see if Steve was right about Mia's Mischief here in the 10th race at Oakland right now. They're off. Perfect start. Amy's Challenge, Midnight Fantasy, Mia Mischief, and Lady Subi are quickest. Bella Fina actually broke last and now had to check on the heels of Midnight Fantasy. No good early for Bella Fina. So Amy's Challenge is the leader three quarters of a length to Mia Mischief in a second. Sunnydale is third at the rail, then Lady Subi. A length and a half to the stablemates of Midnight Fantasy and Classy Act. Now Bella Fina has been guided to the forepath by Joe Talamo. She is moving past horses, but she's lost a lot of ground. They're midway around the far turn in the 41st carousel, and Amy's Challenge has the lead from Mia Mischief. If Bellafina wins this race, she will be two hours the best. She's two from the front. Two and a half back to Classy Act, top of the stretch. Amy's Challenge and Mia Mischief. It looks like it's going to come down to these two. Amy's Challenge ahead in front of Mia Mischief, who is set down for the final furlong, and Mia Mischief blows away and is suddenly two in front. Amy's Challenge running her heart out, but she He's just second best to a superstar sprinting filly. Mia Mischief levels out, runs away straight and strong. Mia Mischief won by four and a half. Amy's challenge second. Lady Subi third. Bellafina finished fourth. Mia's Mischief was better than ever, getting it done, paying $5, even with a 99 buyer. What a performance from this great mare. Yeah, you know, it's, 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 it's not often that you see a dirt horse visually quicken. And I, I think that it's a, a really good sign. It's a sign of a really good horse and a horse that's doing really well. In fact, the last time I can remember a horse visually quickening like that on the dirt was by my standards in, in the race uh, at Louisiana last time. And, and we'll see by my standards this weekend in the Oaklawn Handicap, although we'll all be rooting for our, our guys at 10 Strike with Warriors Charge. But uh, by my standards was one that quickened like that. I thought Mia Mischief really visually quickened on the dirt. And it's not something you often see and. Uh, I think Steve might be right. She's she's trending in the right direction. Obviously, the the uh, the situation is unknown with where where she's going to end up uh, with with all the racing kind of being up in the air. But I'd imagine that uh, the the long term goal for her uh, would be the ballerina at Saratoga this summer. With 
bringing up Saratoga with what we've heard that they might possibly be racing without fans possibly. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, look, it's, it is what it is. Um, and I think it's hard to use the word or the phrase silver lining in a time like this when people are losing their lives and uh, people are losing, uh, you know, their financial security. And, but I think that, uh, you know, it's, I, I'd rather have Saratoga with no fans than no Saratoga. So, um, and I also realize that my situation is probably a little bit more unique. Well, I'll allow, I'll, I'll be there, but it won't be the same without having uh, the rest of the fans there. So, you know, I'm hopeful that things continue to trend in the right direction where it's possible that there could be some type of thing to be done to, to allow uh, some type of participation from the fans. But I'm also understanding that, that, that you know, it might not be that way. Um, the, the other thing, I guess you could say, is that dinner reservations will be a little bit easier this year. So, I, I, you know, like I said, I guess if you're going to find some kind of positive, I guess that would be it. I think you're right about that. We're all hoping for Saratoga to keep going. Have you – I know that the PPs are already out for next Saturday. I don't know if you've had a chance to look at them. What were your – if you please had a chance to look at the two big uh, Arkansas Derby fields, any thoughts? Uh, yeah, I did look. Charlton won't lose. He'll be one to five. Um I think Nadal's going to win too, but he obviously has a more competitive division of the race. Oakland Handicap is, is a heck of a race. Mr. Freeze, who hasn't been on the races to the races in a while, had that big performance down at Gulfstream. Get to see our guy Warriors Charge. Get to see By My Standards. I thought Improbable's comeback race was magnificent considering the situation. Um, he's going to have to behave a little bit better in the, in the, in the starting gate. And uh, I'm trying to think what else. I, I, I'm going blank on the name, which is like a complete no-no, but that, that big horse that Baffert has, it was like super expensive. It broke his maiden at, at, at Goldstream. It starts with a G. I think it's Gamine or G-A-M-I-N-E. That horse is running on the undercard. Uh, the bunch of full fields, allowances, maiden special weights. It's going to be a lot of fun. 14 races. It feels like Gulfstream in the Midwest. No, no doubt. Yeah, dude. It's, it's, uh, it's their, you know, look, they're the only show in town. Uh, they're going to break their handle record that I mean, on Saturday. Um, I'm pretty certain about that, that, that uh, I think they did like 17 million the other day, which was up there for them. Um, and I, I would imagine they'll get, man, I, I would bet, I, I would bet they get north of like 20 or something, um, maybe more than that. And, uh, and so look, it's, it's, they're the only show in town. Um, they were able to navigate to, the 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 I don't want to say the politics, but they were able to navigate the um, restrictions of the of the state and and, and the health departments and the, and the governments and, and and navigate that successfully to, to keep open, which is great for a lot of horsemen. It's great for us as horse players to have some entertainment. It's great for the horse for the horses to to and, and the horsemen and the owners and the trainers to be able to continue to to pay their bills and to to employ people and. You know, luckily they haven't had any uh, knock on wood, any un- unfortunate situations. There are too many unfortunate situations from that. So, look, man, it is what it is. We'll, 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 uh, we'll hopefully they'll they'll be done Saturday, and it looks like Gulfstream's going to keep ticking. And and uh, you know, there's some conversations that 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 uh, Churchill is 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 potentially going to have some good news on the horizon. And and I know Belmont's hopeful that they'll be able to do something at some point. And uh, hopefully California can get back rolling at some point and, and uh, the world itself, more importantly, can get, get back rolling. So 
Uh, it should be a lot of fun this weekend, and uh, we'll be sure to enjoy it as much as we can. We'll have the whole thing Friday, Saturday, and Sunday on Fox Sports. And if you also, if you're watching Fox Sports on the TV, I believe me and the guys are going to again try and do a live stream on YouTube. We're going to try and get all 14 races done. It might be two sets of people, seven races each. But other than that, if you want to find out about it, talk to at Handicapper, at Picks by Dynasty, or at G1 Handicapping on Twitter. I'm sure we will have everything to tell you other than that thanks so much jk for being on the part of the show i haven't seen you since episode two i really appreciate you taking the time to uh talk some racing with me absolutely man yeah i'm i'm, I'm it's an honor to be on I'm, I'm really proud of you for uh for you know taking this show and turning into what you turned into i think it's it's really something that that, that can be helpful you know these are the conversations we have uh you know at the bar the, the night after you get beaten to pick four why, why that happened oh i like that horse well how where, where did you like that boom 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 i think it's an educational opportunity that uh, that goes a long way and so uh, I'm, I'm glad to uh, glad to be on i'm glad to have you on the network look forward to hearing your shows every week thanks to all of our great fans for listening to the show and my special guest the people's champ jonathan kinchin this show has been a production of In The Money Media. In The Money Media's president is Pierre Thomas Fornatel. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. And our In The Money Media business manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl, and we will see you next time. Mm-hmm.